0: Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So, as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Before Brother Todd comes up, I'd like to invite Brother Jerry up for a quick announcement.
1: Good morning. Get all my stuff Pastor Appreciation Month, and we are so. I'm not blessed. supposed to do this right before someone preaches, well, just to let you know. <laughs> we tried to figure out the best time. Um, those of you know, uh, we have an awesome pastor, and uh, we uh, we appreciate you guys. Thank you very much, so so much. Uh, I was thinking back on how many years—eight, Eight, seven, six, seven. six—going okay. on seven years, yeah. Just over those seven years, some of the things that you've done for me. Um, you've married a child. You've buried a father. Uh, you prayed by a wife. And, uh, and I know he's done that for the rest of you as well. Uh, you know, a lot of times we just hear what he does standing right here. But we don't see what he does out there. We don't see the phone calls at night. We don't see the visits. We don't see all those types of things that... Uh, Uh, that we know you do, and we appreciate it. Um, House Chapel is fortunate to have you. Uh, We love you very much. We love your family very much. Um, We, this morning, we went around, and uh, we got each one of the Sunday school classes to sign some cards for you and kind of put a few notes in there. I've not read these, um, but um, I did read some of these. These came from Miss Jerry's class, and I didn't read them all, but I, I just was kind of reading through them. I want to read a couple of them to you. Uh, it says, "Dear Dad, thank you for being there, our, our pastor. You study so hard, and it really pays off. I love you." Tennyson. Um, let's see another child. Okay. From Cedar, thank you. I know you and Uncle Jared is working hard. You guys are doing good. Okay. Here's one here. Uh, Thank you for being our pastor. Love is God. We love you. P.S. I thought your name was Toad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay, I'll let you read the rest of oh thank them. you um, these are from all up every from from the different ones. This is a little card for you and your wife to go out and have a good time one night or two nights or ever how long you want. There's a little extra of the cards, and there's some money in there as well. but Brother, thank you so much. thank you. we appreciate you well, thank you very much. I don't do this job for recognition.
2: I do this because I love God and I love people. And more importantly, I love Palace Chapel. I've said this many times from this pulpit. I know that God has done more in me being your pastor than he has done through me being your pastor. Uh, I'm so grateful to serve this body. and uh, It's an honor. To, to be your pastor, I don't know how it's to say it, so um, I wish they would, would not have done that right before the sermon, because now I've got to get all my thoughts and emotions uh, back to God's word, um, but these last six or so years um, have been some of the <clears throat> places that God has shaped me and molded me more than any other place in ministry. And uh, I've been doing ministry since I was 18 years old. I came to know Christ uh, my senior year of high school. And uh, once I came to know Christ, I just began to serve him uh, in various ways in various churches all over the U.S. And I can honestly say um, this last six years has been uh, the most uh, fruitful in my own journey with the Lord uh, than any other journey I've ever had. And so it is an honor to, to be your pastor and to get to do this. Um, I was thinking just a few days ago, I I was driving here um, from my other job and uh, thought, and um, I don't really want to serve anywhere else. Um, I I would wonder what it would be like to serve for the next, if I get to live this old, I hope I do, 40 years here at Palace Chapel. I was coming right off of uh, Allen Barrett Road onto Palace Chapel and had that thought. Uh, Then thought God for all the faces that I get to see every morning. So I'm grateful to be your pastor. And uh, again, I don't do this for appreciation, though I'm grateful for your appreciation. Let me pray for us, and then we will jump into God's Word uh, together. Uh, As you know, we've been praying for a youth pastor these last several months. We were beginning to put a committee together to go and find. the man, the woman, the family that God would serve our children, our, our our youth. So let's pray for them and then pray that God will open our hearts
1: to what He has for us this morning here in the book of Esther. Pray with me please
2: God it is an honor to be called by you to serve your people. There's no greater call in my opinion to than to be a pastor. And I'm grateful for that call. I'm grateful for this body, their gratitude uh, for me and Jenny and Tennyson and Cedar, uh, the way they love us, they pray for us. Uh, we could not do this without the the faithful prayers of faithful men and women. And so we're we're grateful. God, I'm grateful that my name will be in the history books of this church. That 150 years from now, that uh, I would have had the privilege to serve. Here at this uh, faithful church. You have been so faithful and so kind to this church for many, many years. I pray that would be true for the years and years to come. God, I, I pray that we would continue here at Powell's Chapel. It would be the salt and light that you've called us to. I pray that, God, if anything would ever happen to this body, if we were called. Uh, if you were to come and call us home, that this community would miss the people of Powell Chapel. Not, not a building, but the servants of God. We would serve this community faithfully. We'd serve this community boldly. We'd serve this community in our witness. That this community would know that we stand on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Now, God, I do come to you and I continue to plead and ask for your wisdom, your provision, your goodness, and your kindness as we begin to look for a youth pastor, someone that would serve you and serve uh, our students, God, that they would uh, have a love for you and a love for children, for youth, that that man or woman or man and woman would be faithful, that they would push these students to know you and to make you known. So we pray now for the committee that will be put together, that you'd lead them with wisdom and discernment. as We begin to, to look for the, that person that you are preparing for us and uh, you are preparing them for us. And now, God, we come to this portion of our service that um, we ask through the Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our minds, our hearts, our ears to receive your word, which is inerrant, inspired, infallible, that you would use here in Esther chapter three in such a way that would lead us to become more like Christ, that you would lead us to a place of true sanctification through your word, Pray that your word will wash over us this morning. We pray this in the famous name of Jesus, our Savior. All of God's people said amen this morning. Turn with me to Esther chapter 3. We're making our way through Esther chapter 3. Uh, it's crazy that tonight is Halloween. Tomorrow's November 1st, which means we have about four weeks to Advent, so we will not make it all the way through Esther. We'll pause for uh, four weeks uh, to celebrate Advent uh, at the end of November. Uh, we'll uh, get almost to the end, but we'll pause and come back in the in the new year, which is crazy to think. We'll finish the book of Esther in the new year. It uh, blows my mind to think that way. But here we are in Esther chapter 3. Uh, remember where we left off, Esther chapter 1, Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 1 is this massive party that the king, Xerxes, has thrown. And it's a six-month party, and at the end of that six months, he throws another party for all the people of Susa to come and have this massive party with him. Then he says to his wife, the queen, hey, put your royal crown on and come before uh, these men, these drunken men, and she refuses. And in her refusal, it um, infuriates the king so much so that the king casts her out and divorces her, never to see her again. And then in Esther chapter 2, the king, uh, after some time, as you remember last week, he's been defeated by the Greeks, he returns home to his palace, to an empty palace, uh, and no queen, no one to comfort him, no one to be with him, and so he uh, gets some advice from some frat boys, that's what I call them at least, the the young men of the the city, and those young men said, hey, you, you need another wife, that's their best solution. And so he decides that's a great solution and then goes throughout all the providence, 127 providences, brings in all the beautiful virgins to pick a queen. It's a gruesome story. It's really really modern day or uh, what we would think of The Bachelor. Think of that idea that these young girls come before the the king. The king gets to choose based on their beauty who would be the queen. That's where we leave off. And then in the very last part of it, Mordecai, the the father, the stepfather, the adopted father of Esther, hears about this plot to kill the king. It's where we left off. So chapter 1, chapter 2. The tension is building. The tension is rising. God, as we've been looking at, is uh, sovereign and in control of all things. And we've been looking and we'll continue to look at this word or this idea about the providence of God. And the providence of God, again, is simply this. I'll say this throughout this series, that God both sees into the future, but he acts upon what he sees. Here is God. He can see into the future. God is outside of time. And so God sees all things, and He, in seeing all things, he isn't just a distant God. He, he's in the midst of all that is happening, and he's acting upon that. That is the providence of God. And so often, with the providence of God, we often wonder, where is God? Am I the only one? Like, God is moving, but I don't sense God, I don't see God, I I don't uh, understand what God is doing. Think of it in terms like this. Uh, I I do not do cross-stitch, I would... Be horrible at that. I, I don't do tapestry work, but think of the, the the providence of God like tapestry, right? But when you look at cross stitch, the beautiful picture that you see, it is beautiful from the front. But if you turn that cross stitch over, it looks like a mess. It's like there's no rhyme or reason to the stitching. Like you you wouldn't be able to see the picture or or that whatever the, the cross stitch is, unless you turn it around, that is the providence of God. God is working in all these places, and, and for us, it looks like the backside of a cross stitch. And one day, my hope is, before I die, I get to see the fullness of what God has been doing. And I think if we're honest in our lives, God gives us glimpses of the front side of the tapestry. But most of the time, we see the backside. Is that not true? And that's where we find ourselves in the midst of Esther. At this point, and for the rest of the book of Esther, there's no mention of God. The the name of God is nowhere to be found. There's no prayer. There's no Bible reading. There's nothing that would point us to God. And yet, we can hold true that the providence of God is happening in the book of Esther. That God is methodically moving to do and to accomplish his will. And we know this, what the will of God is. If you ever wonder what the will of God? Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, it's for your sanctification. What he tells us. That God is moving in our midst to make us more like Christ. Now, oftentimes it doesn't feel that way. It feels like God is nowhere to be found. But God is moving in our midst to make us more holy. The, the other thing about the providence of God is what he said, Jesus said himself, that God came to seek and save that which is lost. That from Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, that God's plan would to redeem people, to save people. And even when we don't see him, even when we don't feel him, even when we... Feel his distance, we can be assured that God is acting and moving on his behalf to redeem people. For both the justification of lost people and the sanctification of saved people. That is the tapestry of God. God works all things for his glory and for our good. Now I don't thanks, Siri. I appreciate that. I, I don't know how that all works, but it does. That God, even today, if He feels distant from you, I can promise you this God is moving in your cancer. God is moving in your marriage. God is moving in your loneliness. God is moving in your children for His glory and for your good. We know that to be true because we hold all of God's word to be true. And so here we are again in the midst of where is God? <laughs> In this story, where is he? Because we start off, remember what had just happened. Mordecai discovers this plot that to kill the king, that there's these two eunuchs that are conspiring together to kill off the king. And Mordecai hears this, and Mordecai gives word to Queen Esther, and Queen Esther tells the king, and the king does his research and finds out it's true and hangs these two men. And now we start chapter 3. And after these things, the king promoted, who do you think he would promote? Mordecai. Mordecai just saved his life. And I wonder if Mordecai's thinking, where's my reward? Where's my recognition? Where is God? What is he going to give me because I just saved his life? And yet, God is not found in Mordecai says that he promoted someone else, Haman. And he advanced him and set him on his throne above all the officials who were with with him. So here we see that even when God seems not to be moving, he's moving. Here's how we know this. Because it's actually not the king that promotes Haman. It's God. God is sovereignly at work. How do we know that? We know that from what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been established by God. This is what else we know to be true. That God is in control of all things. And it is... God who promotes people not the king who promotes people says this in Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he the Lord turns it wherever he the Lord will I know and I could stop here and just preach on those few words About where we are as a country. I don't want to make this a political thing. But we can rest assured. That whatever happened. A few Novembers ago. Was always in the hand of the Lord. And we can believe this to be true. As much as it looks like. Everything in our country. Is falling to pieces. Because of who is in charge. We can rest assured. To know this to be sure. It is God who established him for whatever reason, I do not know. But it was God who placed our president in the presidency. And it is God, even now, it doesn't make sense. It is God, the king's heart is a stream in the hand of the Lord. And it is God who is doing what he wants through this one man. That's what the word of God says. Now, we don't have to like it, but we have to believe that it is true because God's word is true. And so it is God who promotes all people at all times to, put to the position they're at. Remember, God is weaving something for his glory and for our good. And I promise this, it doesn't make sense, does it? But Isaiah, the prophet, says God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our, our thoughts. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours. We have to remember and hold that to be true. So who is it that God promotes? This man named Haman. The Aggieite, The son Of Himadatha, he advanced him and set him above his throne. He was the second in command of all of the land. Remember, this land was three million square miles. He was the second most powerful man in all of the world under the king. And it says this, and all the king's servants who were at the king's gates bowed and paid homage to Haman. For the king had commanded concerning him. So there's this decree that has gone out that everyone in the, 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 the providences and in the nation would bow to this one man. That's how powerful he is. What what is he's saying is this, that you, the, the the people, the ordinary people, when you see this man, are to give him respect. So everyone is... To honor this man and show homage to this man. But it says this about Mordecai. But Mordecai did not bow down and pay homage to him. And then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai. Why do you transgress the king's commands? Verse 4. And when they had spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. So day after day after day, there's this creed that's gone out to pay homage and respect to this man. And Mordecai says, not me. I will not bow down to a man. I will not obey the law that is written. They question him day after day after day. And they ask Mordecai, why is it that you would be in defiance or disobedience to the king and not pay respect to Haman? Haman. And he makes this one plea. This is the one reason that he says he will not bow down. In verse 4 it says, he told them that he was a Jew. And he would not bow down and pay homage to him. And Haman was filled with fury. Now why is it that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to this man? It wasn't just because he was Hammond. It wasn't just because he was trying to be defiant. You see, you gotta understand this story doesn't start here. This is not where the story starts. This story starts generations before. First Samuel chapter 15. Do you remember what happened in First Samuel chapter 15? Write this down in your notes and go back to it. I'll give a recap. 1 Samuel 15, remember that the, the people of God demanded a king. Remember, the people of God were, were so in angst, and they were looking all around them for a king, and they said, we want a king, we want a king. And, and Samuel, the prophet, prophet, came to God and said, hey, these people are getting rebellious, and they want a king. And God said, I'm their king. And Samuel said to God, yeah, but they want a real king. And God said, well, give them what they want. You remember that story? That's my my interpretation of it. You can read it the way you want. And so finally, God relents and says, Give them what they want. And that's where Saul comes into the picture. King Saul comes into the picture, and Saul becomes this king, and the people rally around Saul. But in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, God says to Samuel, Hey, there's this people group that's been rebelling against the people of God way back at the Exodus story. The Exodus story, the first people that the people of God come in opposition against are the Amalekites. So, fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 15. God had seen these people, the Amalekites, coming against the people of God, and he says to Samuel, Hey, you got to go wipe out all the Amalekites. And Saul says, Okay. Goes into battle, begins to wipe out all the people, comes to the king, King Agai. Does that sound familiar? Look who this descendant is of. The king that God had told Samuel to kill. And Samuel had a different way. Samuel decided to be disobedient to God. And Samuel, or Saul, excuse me, Saul decided. That what God's way was wasn't the best way. That Saul would have a better way. And so he spared the king for who knows how many days, months. He kills most of the people off. But then he pillages the people. Takes all their stuff and brings that as a sacrifice to God. And God says, I don't care about your sacrifices. I care about what? Your obedience and you are disobedient to me. And from that moment on it says that the hand of God was removed From Saul. And yet there's this people. That God had told Saul. To kill. That lived. Because of his disobedience. Not killing the the Amalekites. Fast forward to this moment. See. Haman is in this position. Because of the disobedience. Of Saul. Generations prior. If Saul had just killed off, all the people that God would have killed off, we wouldn't have Esther chapter 3. And so here's these two men, these two enemies, these two long standing enemies. Mordecai, a Jew. Remember, that's what it says. And this man, Haman, an Amalekite, that should have been killed off, And I wonder in the story of Haman, and I wonder in the story of of Mordecai, these two men, where they come from. If in the story of Haman was story after story after story about how wicked those Jewish people were. You see, people aren't born into racism. People are taught racism. Let me say that again. People are not born into racism. People are taught racism. So here you have a racist man. Why? Because of the stories that were told about how wicked these Jews were. And so years and years and generation after generations, they were born into racism so much so that Haman had this hatred towards Jews. It it says it later on in the text. In verse 10, it says Haman, the Haggai, the enemy of the Jews. And he burned with fury because this Jewish man would not bow down to him. Finally, he had an opportunity for revenge. Finally, he could avenge all of his ancestors. You see, he could have just killed off Mordecai that day and be done with it. But his fury, his anger towards these Jewish people, it goes on to say this, that he was so furious that he saw, in verse 6, he sought what? To destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom. So his plot was this. He would kill off all the Jews. Now, that ought to sound familiar to us. Fast forward to 1930, 1940. There's a man who hated the Jews. Remember his name, Hitler. His desire was to do exactly what Haman did, was to kill off all the Jews. This is the first genocide that we see, This the first in history, this man wanting to kill kill off an entire nation, God's chosen people. So the plan was to avenge his ancestors, to avenge his fury, to kill off not just Mordecai, but everyone. How come you go back to 1 Samuel? Because of one man's disobedience. It burned rage in another family system. It would play out generations to generations through generations. Here's what we know to be true. Sin, disobedience to God, has long-lasting effects. Long-lasting. Other places in the Bible say it this way. There are generational sins because of the disobedience of one man. You see, again, there would be no Esther chapter 3 if Saul had been obedient to God. Full obedience to God. You see, we know this. Saul had partial obedience to God. But know this. Partial obedience is still total disobedience. And disobedience is sin and sin has long Lasting effects. So here Haman is. He goes to the king and he says to the king in verse 8. He gives the king this half truth. Remember who the queen is. The queen is what? Jewish. It says this. It says there's a certain people scattered abroad dispersed among the people in all the providence of your kingdom. That's true. Their laws are different from those of every other people. That's true. And they do not keep the king's laws. That is not true. So it is not the king's profit to to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let it be a decree that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put into the king's treasury. So the king took a signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also. Basically what the king said, do as you please. I don't even need your money. Just do as you please. What, what Haman did that day was really manipulate the king, appease the king, go after what the king delighted in, power, control, and money without telling them the whole truth. The whole truth was it was these Jewish people that weren't in rebellion against the king, but Haman wanted them destroyed, so he gave half-truths, and the king signed a decree. And in signing the decree, gave the signet ring the power to Haman to, to, Haman, to go into the land, all 126 providences, to kill all the people. It says in verse 13, the letters were sent by carriers, to all the king's providences, with destruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. Basically, to do exactly what God had said for Saul to do years and years prior. Haman was going to do the reverse to God's people. In the day of the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adder, and to plunder all their goods. And a copy of the document was issued as a decree to every providence to proclaim to all the people to be ready for that day. Here's the interesting part. This is free of charge. The day was the day before the Passover. That the day before God's people remembered the deliverance that God had for the people, that here Haman was going to destroy the people. Remember that's what happened at the Passover. That's the reason for the Passover that God was gonna send judgment into the land of Egypt to wipe out everyone. And the Passover was that they would take the blood of the lamb and wipe it on the doorpost so that so that the the death the death angel would pass over the Israelites to save them. So a day before Passover, the remembrance of God delivering his people. A decree goes out to kill God's people again. And we'll see next week that yet again, God is actively moving and working in the midst of chaos to save his people. So what happens at the end? Here's this decree to kill all the people. And then it says this. The carries went out hurriedly by the word of the king and the decree was issued. And Susa, the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to have a drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. So here we have the end of the story. The king and the second and commander having a drink as they are anticipating the annihilation of the Jewish people. They're throwing another party. Now, it's easy for us to sit back in judgment to these two men. But the way of application for us this morning is this. If we're honest, we are way more like these two men than we want to admit. We have prejudice in our heart. We are rebellious by nature. We are an enemy of God. But remember, God is working. God has been working. And if it's true that we're more like Haman and more like the king and in some ways more like Mordecai who's refusing to bow down, the truth is for us, we're like Mordecai. We refuse to bow down to the king. But God has said so clearly in his word that we are to bow down to him and worship him. But how many of us rebel against the order of God? If truth be told, the consequences are the same as what would going to happen to Mordecai, what would happen to us, annihilation. That's what God says. If we refuse to bow down to the king, we all deserve death. That's what Paul says in Romans. Thanks be to God for his compassion and his patience. He says that God's heart is that no one perish and that he will wait patiently to give every man, every woman, and every child an opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my question to you, my question to me, is this, will we be an act in obedience to God this morning? Unlike Saul, unlike the king, unlike Haman, will we act in obedience to God? And acting in obedience to God is this. It's what he says, John says in his little letter, 1 John chapter 1, will we be a people that will live a life of confession? Because this is what it says. If you live a life of confession, we have a God that freely forgives. But here's what's true about all of us in the room. We've all acted like Saul in disobedience. We've all acted like Haman in disobedience. We've all acted like the king in disobedience. Therefore, we must all act with confession this morning. Here's the other part. And Jenny and I were talking about this this week, yesterday, that sin does have long lasting effects. And my prayer is this that we would live lives of confession so too that there won't be long lasting effects. But it has to come through confession and repentance. And God is faithful, just, to forgive all of our
1: unrighteousness.
2: Therefore, he takes the way of permanent consequence. and That's eternity without him. So I come and submit this to you. Even when God does not appear to be working, He has been working, and he is working. We know that because he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus is just as active and alive today as when he rose from the dead to forgive us of our trespasses. We just must come to a place of confession and repentance to receive
1: his forgiveness. Will we do that this morning? Let me pray for us.